The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, an SB Nation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am Will Chase, and with me tonight is Elaine Shercliffe. Elaine, how's it going? Good. How are you, Will? Doing well. So uh, you were out of town recently, weren't you? I was. I went on a semi-vacation, a long weekend with some of my family up to the Chautauqua area. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's good to get away for sure. So there was some NHL news over the last week. Obviously, the playoffs are still playing out, but we've been seeing some awards coming down. So I can do a quick rundown over what's been handed out so far, and then we can make some predictions on what we think is still yet to come. So, so far, starting with the King Clancy, Matt Dumba of the Wild eked out Henrik Lundqvist and P.K. Subban to take that award. What did you think about that? Now, the King Clancy, for those that don't know, is awarded annually to the player that best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and obviously and has made a significant humanitarian contribution to his community. And obviously, we saw a lot of that even just from the onset of the playoffs with or the bubble and Matt Dumba with his speech and everything that's been happening. So what were your thoughts? I thought it was probably a slam dunk and pretty obvious. I want to say, though, that I don't like I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly what Henrik Lundqvist or P.K. Subban or lots of other players have probably been doing, because I know lots of players have lots of awesome charities and make lots of great contributions to their community. But I just know, obviously, for Matt Dumba and he put himself out there kind of with his speech and everything amongst the uh the Black Lives Matter and everything that was going on, it seems like he was probably more of a slam dunk. Yeah, I feel like before the Hockey Diversity Alliance came about, it was pretty even across the board for all three of them. Um, P.K. Subban is super involved in every 
city that he plays in and he then he still goes back to the other cities and makes sure that they're taking care of the cities he came from, the team areas. Henrik Lundqvist has just always <laughs> been just like a person in New York that everyone knows for the work that he does. But Matt Dumba definitely slam dunked it with um, joining the Hockey Diversity Alliance and and I think they voted before the bubble, but if they didn't, um, his speech at the start of the bubble definitely solidified it. I thought they were all very deserving of the nomination. And I think that the person who won it, I think Matt Dumba deserved it the most this year. So the next award was the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy, and that's awarded annually to the player that best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to ice hockey. Bobby Ryan was the winner and he overcame alcohol abuse. Oscar Lindblom obviously overcame cancer and even came back out on the ice for the Flyers in their final game against the Islanders. And then Stephen Johns battled depression. And this is another one. It's so tough to pick one over the other because each of them overcame so much to get, you know, to where they are now. But you know, I, I I mean, like, I couldn't pick one over the other. I'm glad that they're all doing well or better, obviously. So Bobby Ryan was the winner. Did you have thoughts on that one? I just, one of my thoughts is just, like, Bobby Ryan was a long time coming to take care of himself. And um, just from what he'd been through his whole entire life, from him and his mom having to move to Canada when he was younger to get away from an abusive situation with family. So he has been through it in his life. And I'm really proud of him for finally taking control of his life this season, even though it meant missing, missing games and not playing the sport that he loves to take care of himself. I think this is one of those awards though, that when people were arguing about it, <laughs> about who should have won, I was kind of disappointed in fans and even some media, because I was like, every person has been through something that we hope none of us ever have to go through so it was um it, it it's an award that anyone who gets it deserves it straight up there's not one person who doesn't deserve it so if you're nominated you deserve it if you like it, that's just you can't argue with the battles that a person faces every day because that's just cold cruel and heartless Right, right. Then we had the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award, and Dompey Brar won that. Alexandria Briggs-Blake and Friend of the Pod, who we interviewed a while back, not too long ago, John Hofferman, were also nominated. Now, the Willie O'Ree Community Award is presented annually to an individual who, through the game of hockey, has positively impacted his or her community, culture, or society. And obviously, we got to talk with John and... And John is the executive director of the Columbus Ice Hockey Club. Did you have thoughts? Again, it's it's awesome to see each of these people, you know, doing what they're doing for their communities. And so it's it's another yeah. one that you, it's you can't really pick one over the other overall. So what what were your thoughts? Right. I I mean I was obviously a little bummed because John didn't get it. You know he's been doing this for decades, but when you look at what the other two have done, they also were very deserving. And it, seeing someone who hasn't been doing it for decades, but has been involved for maybe a few years, be nominated or win, it, it helps other people feel like it's 
something that's attainable, not the award, but what they're trying to accomplish is attainable. So it, it definitely will have a positive outcome for the sport when people see that um, it doesn't just take 20 years to build a program. It, you can make a difference in two years. You can make a difference in a year. You can make a difference in five years. So having someone who hasn't been doing this for literally two decades, it actually might prove beneficial to people that are trying to figure out where to start because not everyone can just start a program in the way that John did it. For the Jack Adams which is, of course, the NHL Coach of the Year. So we know John Tortorella was a candidate. Many would say he was robbed as Bruce Cassidy of the Bruins took that award. Elaine Vigneault was also up to uh, take that one home. He's the coach of the Flyers. So I did think Tortorella was going to win, which would have been his third. And, you know, I think, I think, I don't know whether or not it came down to, I don't think it had anything to do with, you know, his run-ins with the media or whatever a lot of people a lot of media members thought he was going to win or should have won again you know the, the Bruins had a great regular season so Cassidy's Bruins lost 14 games in regulation 12 in overtime overtime slash shootout so they were you know first place in the Atlantic division Tortorella we know the story obviously here in Columbus that the Jackets overcame all of their offseason departures yes they were living based on that overtime shootout loss, those points, but they were still in the mix. No, no one had them in the mix before the season. So spare me all of the, well, blah, blah, blah. They didn't win in the playoffs. And then of course, Elaine Vigneault with the Flyers, uh, another good year for Philly. I mean, they, they were the best team coming out of that qualifying round among the top four and then had a nice run, but the Islanders were able to upend them. What are your thoughts? First of all, everyone that's saying that Torts didn't win just because the media doesn't like him, first of all, it was the broadcasters who voted for him. It it wasn't like an Aaron Portsline or a, a Mark Spector. It, it wasn't any of those people. It was broadcasters, okay? So now you're also saying you're trying to debunk their credibility because they don't like someone. With that being said, I know that these votes took place before the bubble, but you still cannot deny the work that John Tortorella put into this team. Honestly, I thought Elaine Vigneault would win it and that Torts would be second or Torts and him would be neck and neck. I did not think that Torts would have so much space <laughs> between the two of them in the voting. All season and every season, I constantly have to hear about how AHL players only deserve to be on the fourth line and the AHL players that come up aren't that great. But that means then, if you believe that, that John Tortorella did an amazing job working with those AHL players that people believe are not good to make them better. Or you have to admit that these AHL players are good. You can't have it both ways, people. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. Bruce Cassidy had a good team to work with. And I know people are like, well, there's something to say about not destroying a good team. And a part of me is like, there's something to say about not tanking at your job. <laughs> like, there's a totally difference between elevating, keeping a team going that's always been good 
for so many years. And then a coach who elevated the team and took them to the next level when they dealt with losing three of their star players and dealt with a slew of injuries that left them with half a team of minor league players. So I wasn't too pleased. Like most of these awards I'm pretty cool with. Uh, This result I was not pleased with. And I would just love it if more people that voted the way they did explained why they voted because I would just love to understand what they saw. And maybe they did look at Cassidy and said, wow, you know, you did a great job with a great team. And I get that, you know, people deserve credit in that area. But I think the other two coaches didn't get enough love. Next was the Frank J. Selke Award, and that one goes to the forward that best excels in the defensive aspects of the game. In a landslide, Sean Couturier won over Patrice Bergeron and Ryan O'Reilly. So did you have any specific thoughts on this one? Not really. I, I thought this was up for grabs for a lot of people, people that didn't make the final three cut, so... I was pretty pleased with how that worked out because there were so many good players that deserved that award this year and one of them won it. So yay. (laughs) I know Corsi isn't the end all be all stat, but he was 57.2, which is a career high. It looks like for Couturier. So, so for the lady being Memorial trophy, this is awarded for the player that best shows a combination of skill and sportsmanship. Nathan McKinnon, who might also be the MVP, one lady being Austin Matthews and Ryan O'Reilly were runner-ups. And honestly, it seems kind of ironic that Austin Matthews was in the, the conversation after his little whatever last summer. But anyway, anyway, any thoughts there? <laughs> um, yeah, when these all came out, the nominations, I was like, well, I guess they've been using Lady Bing nominations as like, positive PR for certain guys (laughs) because it just feels like in the past like five years that incidences have come about in the summer and then that season that person gets nominated for the Lady Bing. But then somebody tweeted at all the writers that voted for Austin Matthews to win it and wanted to explain why they voted for someone who had what happened this offseason happen. And Kristen Shilton of TSN responded because she's one of the ones that voted for him. And it actually, what she said made sense. So I'm going to read it really quick. She said, truthfully, it wasn't until after submitting my ballot that I realized I did not take Matthew's off ice conduct into consideration. Voting for me has always been rooted in on ice performance. And I treated the lady being no differently. And then she said that's certainly something she's reflected on. But the Lady Bing is not about what they do off the ice. So I get not wanting to promote players who have um, lives outside of the ice that you don't agree with or when they've done something sketchy in the past. But the award is for on ice. And he definitely deserved to be, I don't know, nominated, but he definitely deserved to be up there for this award. So, but Nathan McKinnon, he's such a good guy. 
<laughs> on the ice. Like, it just made sense that he would be the winner. I feel like they put up the nominations and everyone already knew that he was going to be the winner. <laughs> so The next one was the Jim Gregory GM of the Year Award, and Lou Lamorello of the Islanders won that over Julian Brisebois of the Lightning and Jim Neal of the Stars. Now, all three teams are playing hockey right now, so obviously that shows you how good each team is and looks to be going forward. But, uh, you know, for Lamorello to win that for the Islanders, he has a, a long, decorated executive career. You know, he's won Cups in New Jersey, and now he's in New York. He's the one that hired Barry Trotz, and I go back to Trotz and the whole the way that ended with the Caps, even though they won the Cup, and now he's in New York, and they're playing their game and doing their thing. Now, the Lightning are up 3-1 in that series, so they're probably going to win that series. But uh, the Islanders look like a team that, you know, you're going to have to worry with and, you know, without John Tavares either. So they're playing that defensive, kind of like the Blue Jackets, defensive first and getting good goaltending and all of that. But, you know, again, Brisebois took over for for Stevie Y in Tampa and they are still a stacked team, not taking anything away from him. But, you know, we'll see just how the Lightning continue to play, not just this year, but going forward. And then Jim Nill, the Stars, he, he had to fire his coach and here they are one win away from the Stanley Cup final. So, I mean... Again, this is one of those pickums, but I, I don't think you could argue Lamorella winning. I was hoping that Jim Nill would get it only because of what he worked with, and I feel as though he made a bunch of moves in leading up to their run this year, and people were like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and they've worked out. <laughs> Lou Lamorello is just—I guess he's essentially like hockey royalty in a way, like why wouldn't you pick him because he is good at what he does and yeah and he's barely slipped up when he's been doing it now for the last award that has been given out so far the mark messier nhl leadership award and this recognizes the individual as a superior leader within their sport and as a contributing member of society so mark giardano won that award did you have any qualms about that no because he's such a leader I mean he's been a leader forever I feel like he probably was just born a leader <laughs> like he popped out of the womb and his parents were like that kid's a leader <laughs> so I it wasn't shocking when I saw that today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. 
New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So for the NHL awards still to come, we'll start out with the Calder Memorial Trophy, which is for Rookie of the Year. Quinn Hughes of the Canucks, Dominique Kubalik of the Blackhawks, and Kale McCarr of the Avalanche. So I was looking at the the points among the three, and I know, you know, that's kind of relative because, you know, we have defensemen and forwards and all that. But so Quinn Hughes led rookies with 53 points. He had 45 assists. Kel McCarr was second with 50 points. And then Dominic Kubelik had 46 points but 30 goals. So where would you lean if you were making a pick? If we were going by when they voted, so before the bubble, <laughs> it would be Kale McCarr because I feel like he also added a lot to the team as well. I feel like he was very dominant and they would have been very hurt without him. If we were going by the playoffs in the bubble, I would definitely pick Kubalik because <laughs> that kid was getting golden no matter if he had to get him banged in off his leg or <laughs> or not. Um, so he – but before the bubble, the Hawks didn't do well. So it, even if he didn't – show up to a game, they still weren't going to be any better. But if Kale McCarr didn't show up to a game, well, guess what? It was going to hurt a little bit. So that's what I think. This one I think is going to be interesting. So for the Hart Memorial Trophy for the NHL MVP, you've got Leon Dreisaitl of the Oilers, 43 goals. You had Nathan McKinnon, again, a stud. And then Artemi Panarin had a huge year in New York. So I feel like – I honestly wonder. So with Dreisaitl, I think – you know, we've heard things about his defense isn't great. I also wonder because him and McDavid are one-two in points for the NHL, and I do wonder if some of the Paner- of the McDavid stuff might impact what people think of Dreisaitl. And I mean, Dreisaitl's an elite talent. Panarin led basically led the Rangers. He had 95 points, 32 goals, 63 assists. You know, he pretty much was a huge reason why the Rangers were in the playoffs. And then, again, McKinnon, he was... 93 points, 58 assists, 35 goals. I don't I don't know. I feel like it's – well, I don't know. I was going to say I feel like it might be between Panarin and McKinnon, but then again, Dreisaitl I still think is a huge – I mean, how do you ignore him? Even though he's got maybe the McDavid factor on his side, I mean, still. I, I mean, I know we talked about this when the awards were kind of announced for nomination-wise, and a lot of people – were anti-Dreisaitl. Uh, but there is a lot to be said about what he's done with that team. Even when McDavid wasn't playing, he was still playing well. He didn't need McDavid to be better. This isn't like when Cam Atkinson needed Panarin to be better. You know, this is this is 100% like they're on the same table. They're on the same level and they don't need each other to be good so people definitely have discounted dry sidle just because he's on the team with someone else who is good and i don't think that's that's right and i mean panarin to a point yeah like he scored a lot of points but like was that the reason for why the rangers were so successful if he had an off game did the whole team play off like i'm just curious about that but I mean he I think he was a huge reason yeah I mean but he it's not like 
it's not like none of them deserve to be in that top three. So it's not like they had someone who just like doesn't deserve to be in there. But I just, I think a lot of people are overlooking dry sidewall because they think that McDavid elevates him and McDavid makes him better. When the truth is, is he is as good and possibly better than McDavid. For the James Norris Memorial Trophy, I've always had an issue with this, and I think a lot of people probably feel the same way. So it, it, to me, it's kind of like the gold glove in baseball. I feel like it goes to the guy that hits the, the ball more <laughs> when it's about defense. And so with the, the, with the Norris, it's John Carlson of the Caps, Victor Hedman of the Lightning, and Roman Yossi of the Predators. And so, uh, again, it's not necessarily about the offense, but from an offensive perspective, Carlson had 75 points, Yossi had 65, and Hedman had 55, so that was kind of funny. But where were you kind of leaning from the overall aspect of each player, whether, you know, offense, of course, defense? I mean, we know how great each of them are, Hedman, Carlson, Yossi. I mean, what do you think? I think that this award is stupid. I guess that's like, that's an awful thing to say. I'm going to get dragged for that. Um it's super unfair to the... Can you put out your Twitter so that people can find you? <laughs> yeah, please. At me. I'm a rain dancer. Fight me. It's fine. Um, I, the defense doesn't get enough credit in these awards at all. So much of this award is based on points, you know? But what about... I'm not saying that Savard should be in this award. Well, Seth Jones should be Right. In. Like, Seth Jones... Even though even though he had injury this year, I know he had injury. Yeah, but guys who play defense, like why why aren't there multiple awards then? Why isn't there like a defenseman award for great defense? <laughs> like why isn't there an award that is a defensive forward award? Like why don't they call that like the Nicholas Lindstrom Award or something? It just upsets me because people are so focused on the offense aspect of defense, they forget that the key component of defense is to defend. So give me an award that actually praises a good defender, like a defender who stays at home, a defender who throws his body in front of the puck all the time, a defender who sets up at the point and just launches one-time bombs, a defender who will play like a second goaltender like give me that award I want that award with that being said this award it doesn't matter to me who wins (laughs) yeah Giordano actually won it last year so well we'll see who wins again it's kind of like a popularity contest I feel like you know we'll see how that plays out so from the Ted Lindsay award perspective so this is awarded annually to the national hockey league's most outstanding player in the regular season as judged by the members of the nhl players association so that's up between leon dreisaitl mckinnon and panarin i feel like dreisaitl will probably win this one I, even if he doesn't win the heart i do think he's probably gonna i don't know maybe not but you know it's kind of like another mvp award essentially so what do you think i think it would be i think based on players yeah, I feel like it will definitely be Nathan McKinnon unless people really had a hard time playing against Dreisaitl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, then maybe he will win it. I don't see Panarin winning that award at all. But, but he might. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he might. But I do... like, they're this 
I don't, I can, I'm trying to remember if they, how often it is that the Hart and the Lindsay are the same three players up for, for nom- nomination. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. But I guess it makes sense because you're talking about essentially the MVP. It's what it feels like to me. I was going to say, like, Nathan McKinnon is just super respected in the league as a player. Not just a person, but also a player. So I could see him being the MVP for sure. Now, the last award was for the Vezina Trophy. And that's, of course, the most outstanding, you know, best goaltender. So between Connor Hellebeck... Tuka Rask and Andre Vasilevsky. So this one's kind of interesting too because uh, if you're going by wins, that's Vasilevsky with 35, Hellebuck had 31, and then Rask had 26. Rask also played fewer games. He only played 41 compared to Vasilevsky who had 52, and then Hellebuck had had 58. So he actually had the most among the three. And then when you go, when you look at the save percentage, Hellebuck and Vasilevsky 922 versus 917. Rask had 929, but again, fewer games. Goals against Rask, again, fewer games, but 212. I don't know. I, I think I I, I kind of think Vasilevsky might win this one, but I'm kind of I'm kind of I don't know. Is, is it weird to you that Rask is in the consideration since he played fewer games? I think it I think it's weird that he's in consideration, not because of the amount of games he played, but he didn't always play well in all of those games. I, like he wasn't as consistent, I think, as in, in my opinion, he was not as consistent as the other two. I wish that, like, <laughs> I wish Elvis had been nominated for the Calder or the Vesna, just because. Yeah, at least the Calder. Yeah, yeah. just because of how he came out and played, but it did not happen. I think the only reason why I look at that list and I, like, squint my eyes a little is because I'm like, does that say Tuca? <laughs> is that correct? I'm not saying he's not a good goalie. I'm just saying that he wasn't Vesna caliber this year. There's been other years when he should have been up for the Vesna and was not. You know, I think sometimes when it comes to the Vesna, they vote for players who are on their way out, very close to the end, who have been around for a while. But I could be wrong. I'm not one of the voters, and I don't know who all the voters are. You had something interesting to bring up regarding Paul Fenton, who joined the Blue Jackets earlier this year. So take it away, Elaine. Okay. So Paul Fenton used to be, he came from Minnesota, uh, Wild, to the Jackets in February. And I was very, very, very confused as to why he would join as a scout, because he is a noted GM, an assistant GM, and he has been for much of his career. And then they didn't really announce it, announce it, that he was a scout for the Jackets. Like, there was no real, like, press release that I saw that was sent out. I just kind of found out by chance. But then he, uh, you know, Bill Zito goes to Florida. Florida gets a new team for the AHL, which the Charlotte Checkers are now their AHL affiliate. And Bill Zito's great at putting together teams, but do you know who is better at working with the AHL to put together teams? That would be one Paul Fenton, because he did it for the Milwaukee Admirals when he was with Nashville. And he did a really, really good job with them. And he was great with the relationships between the two teams. So you have a new team, you have 
that you're working with, why not bring Fenton to Florida? And so it's my understanding that he is now with Florida, but it hasn't been officially announced. I saw an athletic writer from that covers the wild talk about it and it makes sense. And he, you know, he would be perfect to become an assistant GM or to become the GM of the checkers. That would just be really bad for the monsters because (laughs) those two teaming up is going to create this incredible, I mean, they were already a good AHL team that gave the monsters a run for their money, but with Zito and Fenton, you know, if, if that's true and they really are teaming up and if he ends up being a huge part of the checkers, the monsters are in for it. <laughs> like it's going to be a tough team to play against because they have standards. They know what works. You know, the only thing, I mean, what the monsters have that they don't have is Chris Clark, who's willing to go to places like University of Nebraska, Omaha to find a diamond in the rough. So it makes me kind of excited for the 2020-2021 season if it happens. So I kind of hope it happens and I hope all this is true because it'll be really fun to watch them play against each other and see how that folds out. But the AHL depends on door sales. People can't be in the, the arena. There's teams who won't be able to afford to open their doors for games. It'll be interesting. Definitely a tough, tough scenario with the AHL. So hopefully everybody can recover and see how that all plays out. We're going to end on a familiar game, Fight Liney Scratch. So Elaine, this has been kind of your baby. So I'm going to let you lead with this. I love this game. (laughs) So since it is the Stanley Cup playoffs going on and we're in the conference finals right now, I thought it'd be really fun to do Fight Liney Scratch with the teams that are currently in the playoffs still. Um, for those who are new and who haven't heard this before, Fight Liney Scratch is you. I give you three names, and then you decide if you would fight them, if you would want them as your line mate, or if you would scratch them. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So the first one is coaches based. So Cooper, Trotz, Devoir. You know, it's okay. So... Fight, line, scratch. So let's see. That's really tough. All right. This is weird, but I would fight Cooper. I don't know why. I think it's because I go back to last playoffs between Columbus and Tampa the first time. I I think Cooper, he seems like such a nice guy. And I'm sure he's got a fire to him. But he just always seems so, I don't know if calm is the word, aloof maybe. Maybe not aloof, but... Uh, I don't know. I think I would want to fight him if I had to pick among the three. Maybe Cooper was the one I'd fight. Um, I'll scratch the boar, and I will line up with Trotz. And I don't know why. I don't know. With the boar, it's like I have nothing against him. Um, he's taken over Vegas, and, of course, they might be on the outs here soon. But I don't know. I, I just it's something about Trotz. Uh, you know, he has a Stanley Cup among the three, and not that that really matters. But, again... If I'm lining up with somebody, I want somebody that knows how to win. So, yeah, Trotz. That's mine, too. <laughs> Trotz, for like what you said, it. I also feel like Trotz would totally be involved in a, a line brawl if we needed to. Like, he would definitely mm-hmm. yeah. get involved and protect his teammates. And Cooper, I would just want to fight him because, I don't know, it just feels right, right? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like he can drop a good play, but I don't know if he could 
throw yeah, a big, yeah. Um, yeah, he just seems like a nice dude. <laughs> so I feel like I'd actually be able to win that one. So the next one is Gord from Tampa Bay, Sagan from the Stars, and Clutterbuck from the Islanders. <sighs> Let's see. Well, okay, I'm lining up with Sagan. I I guess I would... Man, I don't know. That's actually tough. Between Gord and Clutterbug, I don't think I want to fight Clutterbug. I guess Gord is who I'd fight, and I'd scratch Clutterbug. <laughs> is that yours, or what'd you what'd you think? No, I so I struggled a little bit with that because Gord would be a good good to have on the ice with me because he likes to set up shop in the crease and um, get under people's skin. Yeah. So yeah. I said that I would have him as my lining. I was just thinking. I was just thinking that if yeah, he does. He can't be a pest, but he might get you involved in a fight or a brawl or something. So you'd have to be ready for that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, I would scratch Sagan just because I want to fight Clutterbuck. Like I feel like that's a rite of passage, right? <laughs> like mm. there are certain players that if you fought them and you won. You would be legendary, and I feel like that would be Clutterbug. <laughs> okay, so the next one is goalie-related. So Vasilevsky, Lehner, and Varlamov. And it wouldn't be Liney. It would be who would be your goalie. <laughs> Let's see. Well, you know, it's it's funny because I like Lehner a lot, but right now Vasilevsky of the three has a chance to advance. I mean, Lehner can still advance, but they're down 3-1. And Varley's out. Now that taking that out of the mix. Okay, I'm scratching Varley. I like him enough, but I'm scratching him. I would you know, that's that's putting me in a bad, bad I, I feel like I I feel like Leonard is crazy in a good way. I don't want to fight Leonard, but that's how it's setting up because I want Vasilevsky in my net on my team, and then I'm fighting Leonard, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so I scratch Varlamov. But I had Leonard be my goalie because if I had to fight a goalie, which means I would also have to take on their defense and their whole entire team maybe because I fought a goalie, um, I feel like it would be safer to fight Tampa Bay as a whole team than the rest of them. And I feel like Vegas as a whole could really throw down. Possibly. (laughs) So I feel like that would be the safest bet. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I go back again, and I know Tampa Bay won this year, but yeah, we saw last year how rattled they can get. And yeah, of course, then you have Gord to deal with again. Leonard, I like Leonard, and I just feel like he's a he's a tough, I feel like he's a tough dude. I mean, we know off the ice, but then he's had a good year this year, the Blackhawks and the uh, the Knights. Yeah, he'd be a tough one to fight. Yeah, and he handled that well when they met each other again. Like, how awkward would that have been? We traded you away in the middle of the season, and now we got to play you for the playoffs. The second guessing on that is stupid because, I mean, no Blackhawks, no one thought they were going to be in the playoffs, and it was only because of circumstances. And, yeah, you could even Crawford played really well for them, and that's after having COVID. It's all, it, it's all Monday morning quarterback. You can't, you can't go back and, you know, debate that, but... It right. makes sense in the in the time, but oh, I was gonna say fight Lighty scratch Trevor Bauer, Fernando Tatis, and Tony Two Chains Rizzo. Bauer Bauer is crazy, but I like him. So okay, man, that's tough. I gotta go right now. I gotta go with Tatis on my team 
let's see. I guess I will. I guess I'll scratch Rizzo and fight Bauer. Even though other way around, I guess I would scratch Bauer and fight Rizzo. As much as I hate that, because <laughs> Rizzo is such a good guy. Like I mean, I've seen him have fire. Like I've seen it. But he's such a, a, a you know a nice dude. Bauer's just he's crazy. But again, he's crazy in kind of a good way. I guess he can kind of have his moments. But yeah, um, and I gotta have Tatis on my team. Dude's balling. I mean, he could he could be the MVP sooner than later. So I don't actually know my own question because it's really hard. <laughs> um, like Anthony Rizzo, when he wears the chains, is significantly better than when he doesn't wear the chains. So like, <laughs> it's very dependent on his gold chains. I would definitely have so in the the sense of if it was hockey I would want to have Trevor Bauer as my line mate because I think it would be fun always be fun slightly frustrating but if there was a fight I feel like he would totally just get into it and then after the game he would analyze what we did wrong with the fight so that we could win the next fight probably (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I would probably just fight Rizzo because I feel like he's got the fire and I would love to see him all amped up. I I think it might be a little bit scary to be on the other end of that. And then I would scratch Tatis just because if I knew there was going to be a fight breaking out, he should be protected at all costs. Yeah, Tatis, I would, again, I'd have him on my team, but hitting grand slams. But anyway, well, Elaine, that was fun. And... (laughs) Well, we are out of time for this week, but we will be back next week to discuss, again, all things related to the NHL bubble playoffs, as I like to call it. The bubble will know the Stanley Cup participants, and we will be discussing any and all news that comes out, whether about the Blue Jackets, the NHL. So definitely stay tuned. And, you know, we were talking about defense and the Norris. I will be having my Seth Jones review going up Tuesday which is the day that the podcast will drop. So definitely look out for that and everything else at jacketscanon.com. Elaine, do you have anything coming up this week? Um, I have the Andrew Peak review on Thursday or Friday. I cannot remember what day. And then I just put up a piece on an interview I did with Ben Adams, the communications director of the Monsters, about what they're doing with the Sports Alliance and voting and that they are just another reminder that if you're in the Cleveland area and you need to register to vote, they're doing a voting drive on September 22nd. Check that out as well. Definitely. So check that out at jacketscannon.com at CBJ Cannon on Twitter, and we will see you all next week. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons off of their album Homemade Vision. Angela's newest album is called 430, and you should definitely go check it out. Check her out at AngelaPurley.com. And you should also check out Angela Pearlie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during the stay-at-home period. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at cbjcannon and comment on jacketscannon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Black.